Eso. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Twitter users are mocking a new list of dehumanizing labels to avoid the AP, they say, is run by children. What is the AP? Well, the Associated Press. And they're talking about the Associated Press style book. Once again being mocked on social media after its latest suggestion to do away with terms involving the word the. The. T-H-E. It's called the definite article. And the purpose is supposedly to avoid dehumanizing people. The AP Stylebook's Twitter account, which usually posts guidelines on reporting, officially recommended on Thursday to avoid the word the as labels when referring to groups including, for some reason, the French. They said, we recommend avoiding general and often dehumanizing the labels, such as the poor, the mentally ill, the French, the disabled, the college-educated. Instead, use wording such as people with mental illnesses and use these descriptions only when clearly relevant. Well, this has resulted in a swarm of attacks on Twitter. But not only that, friends. A professor... A professor of a so-called Christian university, Texas Christian University, TCU, told students that he could not give them a biological answer when a student asked what a woman is during the biology class. Now, he's a biology professor. He said he could not give the students a definition of or a biological answer when the student asks what a woman is during his biology class. Professor Michael Sawi was teaching his students about gender identity. In his contemporary issues in biology class yesterday, and he says that he doesn't really have a biological answer after a student asked him what the definition of a woman was. He says, well, that's something that's going to depend on the culture. Well, these two stories tell us that we have, apparently, a lot to learn. A lot to learn about what, though? A lot to learn about the meaning of words, the meaning of language. If I were to ask you what the most meaningful the most critical words in the Bible are, what would you say? Be careful. The most critical words in the Bible. That without these words, you cannot truly understand the Bible. The most critical words in the Bible probably are the words the, T-H-E, and if. I-F. And why is that? Because a failure to understand those two words renders you incapable of understanding the rest of the book. Because that will leave you to make up your own ideas, your own viewpoint, as to what is said in the Bible. So, 
In Genesis chapter 1, we're told that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Well, the them then refers to a plural use of the word man. Let us make man human beings in our image after our likeness and let them, the human beings, have dominion over the flesh. So the Bible said God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Male and female created he them. Now, what is it about that we don't understand? It's as clear as anyone could possibly understand if they wanted to. But if you have reasons why you don't want to, then you would be in trouble. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, But for Adam there was not found a help me for him, so God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the God God had taken from the man, he made a woman. Distinct from the man, he made a woman and brought her into the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And they were told to be fruitful and multiply. In these two chapters, we find very clearly that God distinguishes clearly between a man and a woman. And he also tells us that one of the premier distinguishing factors is that they are capable together of multiplying, of being fruitful and multiplying. Now, two transgenders cannot be fruitful and multiply. Two lesbians cannot be fruitful and multiply. Two sodomizing homosexuals cannot be fruitful and multiply, can they? No, they can't. Therefore, we know that all of those things are confusions to God's creation. They are not part of God's creation. Because the Bible said God created he, male and female created he them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Interesting. And Eve was created to be a helpmeet for Adam. Now, there's so much in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis that tells us about the the role of male and female, how God created them, why he created them, and he said that the man was to be head of the woman, and throughout the rest of the Bible, we find that to be the case. So that would resolve these problems if, if, We were willing to approach the Bible with an honest heart of integrity, which brings up a whole new issue, and that is, how do we approach the Bible with integrity? Or, 
Another way to put it, in a more simplistic way, is how to study the Bible. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that, actually, in ways that perhaps might be extremely helpful to you right now as we're still entering into a new year on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ. This should be even more important that we should understand how to study the Bible. And we're going to do that. We're not going to do it all today. We're going to set a foundation today. Why should I study? Who must study? Where must I study? When must I study? Maybe we'll get to what must I study. But in the course of all of this, oh, we're going to start breaking it apart in ways that you're going to see are perhaps far deeper and more important than you ever thought. How to study the Bible. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Perhaps one of the greatest issues facing professing Christians today is how to study the Bible. And, of course, whether to study the Bible, but how to study the Bible. And did you know that the Bible never tells us to read it? I don't recall a single place where we're told in the Bible to read it. We know that Jesus did read it. He found the place where it was found, and he read from the book of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and so on. But we're not told, we're not given express commandments to read the Bible. What we're told to do is study the Bible, and then we're also told to meditate on the Bible. Those two things, to study and to meditate. But what do they have in common? How do you study? And how do you meditate on the Word of God? We need to get a hold of those things before we can get even more deeply into the matter of how to study the Bible. So the first question that we need to look at is, why should I study? Now, in a a general way, you could say, well, I should study because God wants me to. Well, how do you know God wants you to? Is it because your pastor said that? Is it because your mom said that years ago? Is it because your friend does? Why do you think you should study the Bible? You see, when we answer questions concerning how to study the Bible, the immediate response should be, what does God say about it? Because we want to go to authority. We don't want to go to practices, experiences. We don't want to go to other people's opinions. We want to go to what God says. So if we were to ask the question, what three words might be three of the most important words in the Bible, 
put together, I would have to say it's the words found in Genesis chapter 3. Hath God said. Hath God said. Now, why are those three, those three words linked together? Why are they three of the most important words in the Bible? Because they establish that what God says is the the authority and the only authority for life and practice for Christians. Hath God said. So what did God say? Well, how are you going to know what God said if you, unless you're studying his word? You can't just read the Bible and just know what God says. You know why that is? Because you can read one little passage and you can read a particular verse or a particular phrase and you say, ah, see what God says? Well, yes, that's what he said there, but you have to put that in the context of the rest of the Bible. Because the whole Bible is what God has said. For instance, if I were to tell you, make some statement to you, just out of the blue, an out of the blue statement to you, and you were to take that statement, and I said, the sky is red. Well, maybe the sky was red at that moment. But maybe by the time you listened to it, the sky was turning gray. So what color was the sky? Well, it was red, but now it's gray. Or maybe it's moving from a shade of red to a shade of gray. This is the kind of thing of nuance that we find in the Bible. And we have to know what the Bible says from cover to cover and the cover to. So many people say, oh, I I believe the Bible. Yeah, I I believe in the Bible from cover to cover and the cover to. Really? It reminds me of what happened on national television just uh, recently when in the Senate reviewing with the qualifications of a particular candidate for judgeship, one of the senators asked the candidate, uh, could you explain to us what the purpose, what chapter, what, what Article 2 of the Constitution is about? This candidate said, I'm sorry, sir, I cannot. So he said, well, how about Article 3? Can you tell us what Article 3 of the Constitution is about? The person said, I'm sorry, sir, I can't. Do you see the problem here? Here is a person claiming to be qualified for a particular judgeship in the federal system and does not know the most foundational purposes of the law founded in the Constitution, which is the supreme law of the land. Can you imagine the embarrassment? Well, can you imagine the embarrassment of... A pastor who is asked a particular question concerning uh, God, concerning his word, concerning his purposes. And uh, he says, like that professor of the Christian University, uh, well, what would you say is the definition of a woman? And the professor says, I can't tell you, I don't know. 
Well, how, how about if a pastor tells you that? They're either playing a politically correct game with you or they have no authority for what they're doing. They're completely outside the scope of their privilege in purporting to be a pastor or purporting to be a professor. They don't even have the most elementary understanding of what they're supposed to be talking about and teaching. All right. Now, let's bring that uh, to you and to me. Just plain people. We're not claiming to be a professor. We're not claiming to be a pastor. We're not claiming to be this, that, or the other. We're claiming to be a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. So, I ask you a question. I ask you a simple question about uh, what is sin? And you stammer, and you stutter, and you say, well, I, 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 uh, 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 well, it's, uh, you see the problem? Now, there could be a number of reasons why you're stammering and stuttering. One is, you know that in our culture today, it's not considered a very nice thing to talk about sin. So you don't want to talk about sin because you're afraid. You're afraid of what somebody might think about you. You are afraid of how they might, it might affect uh, their attitude toward you, toward your job, toward your family or whatever. So you're afraid. Notice how fear then colors what the Bible says. So if you're not motivated with integrity to understand what the Bible says and to declare it, you got a real problem. Because you have to be a lover of truth. You have to be a lover of truth to truly study the Bible with integrity. No matter where the truth cuts. Even if it cuts through all of your preconceived notions, even if it cuts through everything that you were previously taught by this purported authority or that purported authority, you have to agree with what God says. Or you don't. And to the extent that you don't agree with what God says in his word, you are elevating yourself as equal to God. That's exactly what Satan did. And that's why he was cast out of heaven. Or will be cast out of heaven, depending upon your viewpoint. So, all those things are said to lay a foundation in our understanding as to why this is important. The Another reason why this is important is words matter. There's a reason why the Bible is called the Word of God. Did you notice very carefully what I said? I didn't say it was a Word of God. I said it is the Word of God. Using the very word that the Associated Press says we can't use anymore. It's called the definite article, the. That's why the word the is one of the most important words in the Bible. 
Because without an understanding and agreement with the word the, it throws a terrifying monkey wrench into our understanding of what God has said in his word. If you don't start with the understanding that it's the word of God, not just a word of God, nothing else matters. Because now it's just up to your opinion. The definite article is critically important. Think about it this way. The Bible says, thou wilt show me the path of life. Notice it doesn't say, thou wilt show me a path of life. It says, thou wilt show me the path of life. The definite article. Why is that? Because there are many paths of light, of life. As I was coming out of the grocery store today, I saw a calendar cover, beautiful calendar cover, and it said, the paths to God. Notice, they didn't say the path to God. They said the paths, plural, to God. In other words, they could have said a path to God or one of many paths to God, but they did not leave it as the singular definite article, the path to God. Do you realize how serious that is? That's become one of the most serious issues in among professing Christians today and in our culture. Because the word the takes the responsibility from us to interpret what God has said. And we have to agree either God meant what he said or he didn't. If he says the path of life, then it's the path of life. It's not many paths. If he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, then he is, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, no man can come to the Father by me. How can he say that no man could come to the Father but by me unless he is the way, the truth, and the life? Now, what if he had said, I am a way, a path, and a, tr- a uh, life? Then you could say, well, there would be many paths, and he's not the only way. So that's what Oprah Winfrey says. Oprah Winfrey says uh, she has an eclectic gospel. It's the gospel of feelings. Well, how do I feel today about the path that I should be on? Do I like this path? Do I like what's being said? If I don't like it, then I became the supreme authority to reinterpret what God has said or reject it. That's the spirit of our age. And that spirit has invaded the body of Christ big time. It's invaded the body of Christ through the seeker-sensitive movement. It invaded the body of Christ initially through the uh, church growth movement, then the seeker-sensitive movement, and then most recently through the emerging church movement. All of these have progressively defined out the definite article of what God definitely has said so that we can form our own ideas, viewpoints, and so on. So there's nothing definite. Question. If there's nothing definite, how secure are you? 
God either means what he says or he says what he means, right? So if we don't come and approach the word of God with this kind of understanding, it means we're not walking in humility. So the scripture says, be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, who's proud? Somebody who says that their viewpoint, their ideas, their thoughts concerning what God has said are just as valid, just as equal to what God has said. That's pride. That's supreme pride. And that's what caused Satan to be cast out of the Mount of God. From here, we go to the question, why should I study? Specifically, hang in there, my friend. Hang in there. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Today on Viewpoint, we're talking about how to study the Bible. And we're going to do this in a series of uh, programs. They're not going to be one right after the other. We're going to do it like maybe one a week over the next several weeks. We'll see how long it takes. Because it's important that we flesh this out in such a way that our hearts and our minds are in it. Studying the Bible is not a mechanical thing. It's about our heart. It's about the condition of our heart on any given day when we approach the Word of God. It's about the condition of our heart whether we approach the Word of God every day or not. The Bible says we are to be lovers of the truth. Are you a lover of the truth? Do you love the truth? Jesus said, If you'll continue in my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Do you know what's interesting about that particular verse? It's quoted all the time, but it's misquoted all the time. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, he didn't say your pastor's word. He didn't say Billy Graham's word. He didn't say Chuck Chris Meyer's word. He didn't say your mom's or your dad's word. He said, if you continue in my word, what does it mean to continue? It means to stay fast in pursuing the word of God in the ways that God says we are to do it. To continue means to pursue faithfully with a heart to understand, and then to be a doer of that word and not just a hearer. 
That's what it means to continue in the word of God. Notice we're putting definition to these words. So Jesus said, if you continue. Oh, there's that other big little word. The biggest little word in the Bible is the word if. If you continue in my word. It doesn't say if you go into my word every once in a while or take your Bible uh, to church every once in a while or even have it on your uh, coffee table or, or even have five different translations on your coffee table. It says if you continue in my word. The word if is the fulcrum word of the Bible. And as we get further into our study of how to study the Bible, we're going to find how critically important the word if really is, just like the word the. So if you continue in my word, then you will know the truth. You're not going to know the truth if you don't continue in his word. If you take it or leave it, if you're haphazard about it, or if you take some and reject others, you see, if you continue in my word, then you shall know the truth and, listen to this, the truth shall set you free. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says at all. It says the truth shall make you free. Why do we like to use the word set instead of the word make? Because we want it to be an instantaneous thing. It's easier that way. We can get a McBible. We can get a McVerse. And everything's wonderful. Everything's cool. and happens instantly. Jesus didn't say that. He said the word will make you free. And you shall be free indeed. I want to be made free. And that requires that I be in the word every single day and yield to the word with the emphasis of the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to another point. The role of the Holy Spirit in the study of the Bible. A renowned bishop in the Roman Catholic Church just came out with a book. Another book. He said that Pope Francis does not hear from the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit has no role in his life. You say, well, that, that's a pretty bold thing to say. Well, it is. But on what basis would he say that? It's his perception that Pope Francis hears his own voice and the voice of the culture to tell him what to tell the rest of the people rather than what God has said. That's why. If you're not listening to the Holy Spirit's voice, you're going to hear your own. Or you're going to hear the voice of your culture or the voice of your friend. And it will lead you astray. The Holy Spirit was given, Jesus said, to lead us into all truth. It's not just our study. It's the Holy Spirit that is watching over his word to perform it. Do you see how we're laying a much broader foundation of understanding here today 
as we enter into this whole idea of how to study the Bible, it's not a bunch of mechanics. You can't study the Bible by reading three chapters a day and five on Sunday so that you set a goal of reading the Bible through it a year. I didn't say there's anything wrong with reading the Bible through in a year, but I'll tell you what happens when you do that. By the time you finish the first two chapters in a given day, you can't remember what they are saying. In fact, you're probably half asleep on a Sunday afternoon when you're reading the five chapters that you have to read on Sunday or Saturday. You're definitely just about putting yourself to sleep. Why is that? Because you're just about reading the Bible, which the Bible never tells us to do. It tells us to study the Bible and then to meditate on it, which means we're going to have to learn a lot more about what that means to study the Bible and to meditate on it. Quite frankly, I'm I'm, I'm speaking from experience because when I was a teenager, we were always told, read the Bible through three chapters a day, five on Sunday. And I went through that uh, ritual several times and I found it was almost meaningless because it was putting me to sleep. And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s, early 30s, having grown up in the church, my father having been a pastor, having majored in religion at a church-related college, almost majored, one course short, I think it was, and I still didn't get it until the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me what was wrong. I didn't know how to study the Bible. And whenever I I did study, it was for information and not for transformation. And so it was kind of like a dead letter. There's a lot of information. It can make you proud, but it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't change your life. What God is looking for is the information that gets applied. That's application to bring about transformation. So I began to search the scriptures for transformation. What did God want me to understand as I read the Bible with an open heart seeking what he had to say to me and what the Holy Spirit would reveal to me on any given day? And it changed the rest of my life. We'll go into some of the mechanical things that I do. I'm not saying you have to do them because there's no biblical command that you do them. The only biblical command is that you study the Bible and that you meditate on the Bible day and night. Okay. So why should I study the Bible? First of all, in 2 Timothy 2.15, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, there are at least three things in that simple verse that should have jumped out as you heard them. First of all, study. Notice it doesn't say read. Then it says study to show yourself approved, approved unto who? Your dad, approved unto your pastor, approved unto your seminary professor, approved unto who? Approved unto God. 
when we're getting into the word, you have to have the idea and understanding that you want to be approved unto God. Otherwise, you're going to find ways, you're going to engage in the Bible through an eye of find, trying to find loopholes to live how it approves unto you, or approves unto your culture, or approves unto your friends. No, approved unto God. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman. In other words, the Bible is to help us to do the works of the kingdom. Not to be just part of the God's bless me club. Oh, he wants to bless you, but he wants to bless you for his purposes. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Hmm. How many Christians are ashamed because they say, you know, I just don't feel like I know enough about the Bible. Friends, do you realize what you're saying when you admit that? You're guilty of a fundamental violation of God's instructions to you. (laughs) It's not that hard to figure out. These are simple things. If you're living in the household of faith, you're going to study to show yourself approved unto God. As a workman who needs not to be ashamed, and here's the final one, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, it's possible to wrongly divide the word of truth, to wrongly understand it, to wrongly teach it. So the more with integrity, I'm in the Word of God, the more likely I am to be able to rightly divide and discern the Word of Truth. That I might rightly understand it and share it with others. So, what is it about this Bible? What is it about the Word of God that makes it so powerful? That's next. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. How to study the Bible. That's what we're talking about. It sounds simple. But it's not a matter of mechanics. It's a matter of the heart. And the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Therefore, when we purpose in our minds and our hearts to do what God says concerning his word, study 
and meditate. Study and meditate. Trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal the word to us, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. We're not going to get in a hurry. This is a life-building experience. So, what is it about this Bible? What is it about the Word of God? Yes, it's the Word of God, but Hebrews 4.12 tells us this. The Word of God is alive and powerful. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Do you see how how powerful this particular verse is? This truth? First of all, the word is alive. In other words, it's not a dead letter. It's something that is ready when taken into you purposefully by faith, seeking God's word, will, and ways, It's something that is alive. And it's going to accomplish what God gave it to accomplish. For he said that my word will not return void, but will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper the thing whereto I sent it. So when you get into the word of God, uh, let, let's suppose this, and I, I don't want to demean the word of God or trivialize it in any way by giving this illustration. But if your doctor prescribes to you a particular medication for whatever condition it is, and it's something that is has become endemic to your body, maybe diabetes or something like that, what if you decide that you're only going to take it once in a while when you feel like it. What's going to happen? It's not going to accomplish that which, for the purpose for which the doctor prescribed it. In fact, it may do worse. Because if you don't take it regularly to do what it's supposed to do, then who knows what other complications it could have. The same is true with the Word of God. It is designed to be taken in with diligence and purpose and, as God has prescribed it, daily. Like the song says, early in the morning will I direct my prayer to you and will look up. Well, that's the greatest time then to, to, to spend quality time in the Word of God, early in the morning. When you're fresh, get your cup of coffee or whatever and spend quality time seeking the Lord in his word and then out of that you pray his word and you pray for other things early in the morning. So the word of God is alive and powerful and it's sharper than even a two-edged sword. Now, I have a very beautiful, fancy two-edged sword that I acquired years ago for illustration purposes. Another way to put it, if you're in the medical profession, it's sharper even than a surgeon's scalpel. Now, how could that be? 
what is it that the Word of God does that tells us why we should be studying it? Well, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and discerning the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Oh, that's why a lot of people don't want to get into it. Because they don't want the Bible to discern the thoughts and the intents of their heart. They don't want the Holy Spirit to bring them under conviction for what they discover in the Word of God. Did you know that? Lots of people don't want to get into the Bible for that reason. Professing Christians don't want to. Mm Mm-hmm. There are a lot of pastors that don't want to get into the Word of God in certain areas because they know that it's likely to tell them things that they don't want to hear. They don't want to teach and preach to the people because they think the people aren't going to react react well. So they themselves do not get into the Word of God and truly discern what God has to say about certain things. For instance, when Jesus said, whoever divorces their spouse causes them to commit adultery. And whoever marries the one so divorces, so divorced commits adultery. Why don't you hear that quoted from the pulpits today? Because the pastors don't want to get into it. Why don't the pastors want to get into it? Because they know you don't want to get into it. So they'd rather tell you something that seems nicer. But you see, the Word of God is not designed to be nice. It's designed to bring healing, deliver from sin, and restore us to a right relationship in holiness before the Lord. That's what it's for. Now, this this Bible is something that uh, doesn't flee away. On our gallery wall, we have a gorgeous framed uh, scripture out of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand, or the word of God stands forever. It's not going to change just because the culture changes. Just because the Associated Press wants to change the language doesn't mean it has authority over the word of God to change the language and how we interpret it. The word the still means the. Also, we want to study the word of God because it's truth. Now, in order to be motivated to study the word of God because it is truth, you have to be a lover of truth. You have to really want to know what the truth is. I dare say that the majority of people don't really want to know the truth. What they want to know is what will make them feel better about their circumstances. So if the truth would seem to countermand what they want to feel or what they want to believe, they don't want to know it. Don't tell me that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to know that. As if somehow... By refusing to know what the Bible says, you're somehow going to be delivered free from any accountability before God for that. No, you're not. He's given his word. It's for you. It's for me. He told us to study it. 
He told us to meditate on it, to be doers of it, and therefore, it is what it is, whether you want to agree with it or not. Now, it's interesting because some people believe and are taught that uh, Jesus said that the reason why he gave his word is to uh, make everybody get together in a love fest and, uh, uh, you know, enjoy one another's company to uh, sing Kumbaya together in their churches. Nothing could be further from the truth, friends. First of all, in John 17, 17, which is Jesus' high priestly prayer, people say, well, didn't Jesus say, pray the prayer, that Father, that they may be one, even as we are one, that the world may know that you have sent me? Yes, he did pray that. But that's not the only thing that he prayed. That's what he prayed after these words. He said, sanctify them, Father, or set them apart according to thy truth. Thy word is truth. Then he said, now, being that your word is truth and they're being set aside unto the truth, now, unite us together in your truth that the world may know that you have sent us, that, you, uh, that I have been sent. You see how we choose to read the Bible or not read it changes everything. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 is frequently quoted about coming to know the Lord that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the mouth, with, with the heart believes, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Yes, that's true, but it's not the only truth. Because the scripture also says that we must be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Jesus said, not everybody who says unto me, Lord, Lord, and makes a confession is going to inherit the kingdom, but only those who do the will of my father. You see now why we have to study the Bible. And if you believe that Jesus is, that we're on the near edge of the second coming, if there was ever a time, my friend, that you need to commit yourself, moms, dads, pastors, parachurch leaders, whatever, high school kids, college kids. This is our moment of truth. We we are entering the final testing ground of history. That's why we're doing this uh, particular focus. Yes, faith comes by hearing, but hearing comes by the word of God. Now, let's suppose that... uh, as many people are saying to me, I can't find a church that really teaches the word of God, not the whole word. Oh, they, they say, my pastor teaches the word. I've never had somebody say, well, my pastor doesn't teach the word. He may teach something different than the word, or he might teach part of the word. But very seldom would I hear somebody say, my pastor doesn't teach the word. Here's the problem. He just doesn't teach the whole word. He selectively decides what not to teach. Well, that's deception. That's becoming a participant in deception. 
And all of us have that temptation, don't we? It's not just pastors. All of us have that temptation. Because we hold this treasure in these earthen vessels. So, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Let's suppose that you're having a hard time finding the word of God to hear it when you go to church, when you go into a fellowship of believers. So what can you do? Well, the first thing you need to do is to be speaking the word of God yourself. That's what meditating on the word of God is all about. And you don't even have to speak out loud. You can speak in your mind because you have a mind's mouth and you have a mind's ear. You know you do because you can hear it even in when you don't open your mouth. So you speak the word of God in meditating. You quote it. You speak it to the Lord. And guess what happens? It goes into your ear, your mind's ear, and it goes down into your heart. And then out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks the word again It goes back into your ear, down into your heart, and as you do this day after day after day after day after day like David did and became a man after God's own heart, then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not just out of somebody else's mouth, but out of your own. Make sense? And finally, Matthew 27, 21 tells us very clearly that one of the main reasons we should study the Bible is to know the will of God. To know the will of God. And also in Psalm 119, verse 105, the word illuminates our path. It illuminates our path. In Psalm 119, 104, that I might discern deception. Oh, my friends, do you see how powerful this is? why I should study the Bible, and we've just begun. I hope this has been helpful. Let me know if it's been helpful. Give us a call, send an email. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friends. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.